Powered by Riverside. That round of applause is because episode 11 of Backside Ground Balls podcast is brought to you by two 1-0 college football teams, Penn State Nittany Lions, 1-0 with a huge win on Thursday. Uh, just a character win for James Franklin's bunch on Thursday night at Purdue. And then my dogs. I don't, I don't feel like I don't need to clap. I don't need to say anything else. Yeah, I mean, thanks for coming, Pac-12. That was fun. Dan Lanning came back to uh, coach his first game as a head coach against his uh, former employer, defending national champions. And it didn't go well for Dan. Great guy. I think he's gonna. Uh, I think he's gonna do a really good job there. He's doing a good job recruiting. Uh, Kirby said it after the game. We got better players. It was forty-nine to three. Georgia scored a touchdown on their first seven drives to start their season. Um, the first team, the first team didn't play the last twenty minutes of the game. Um, against so a ranked that's a good opponent. stunt. Yeah, against number eleven Oregon. So all of you out there who are so super excited for uh, twelve team playoff expansion, which if anyone who listens to this loves you know college football, um, it's, they might get mad at me for that because there's a lot of people who are so for it. But like, hey, there you go. There was number three versus number eleven, <laughs> real competitive. Which again. Look, this is a baseball podcast, so I won't go too long on this, but I just got to say, there's a couple teams in college football who are in a different weight class, and you should watch college football for the regular season because it's like like baseball, which is also an unbelievable regular season. College football is the best regular season in sports. So like for me, it's like just enjoy that because at the end of the year, it's probably going to be Alabama, Georgia. Like just, it, okay, so what? Like if you're if you're a fan yeah. of Oregon, like oh, our playoff hopes are dashed. Like why? Who can't stop playing for the playoffs? It's week one. Enjoy the last eleven weeks. Your team's going to get a lot better, and they're going to be good. They're still they could still win the Pac-12. They're just not in Georgia's weight class right now. Not many teams are in that weight class of Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. They're not. Notre yeah. Dame might be, but no, no. That was a good game. I know, but they looked. They looked that, good. Ohio State in November will would beat that. Like if they ran into each oh, other, no doubt. In playoffs, sure. Ohio State's sure. beating them by thirty five. I, I, I just, just want to caution everybody that the twelve team playoff might not be that fun, and if it takes away from the regular season, I think we're doing the worst thing possible in college football because it's I just agree. So fun right now, it is. And so, just to give my my standpoint from that is the first thing um, from my perspective is. One preseason rankings are obviously a lot different Stupid. than the number twelve team in the in at the end of the year. Not saying it would be any different result at that point, but I don't think Oregon was the eleventh best team in the country. They know who's no. playing who the first week. There's a reason why you know Notre Dame was five with a new quarterback and a new right. coach. You know, um, so there's always that to keep in mind. I think what they're doing a disservice of from that perspective is that they're not having home games for the first round. Um, and for the second round, really, I think the they first are. two are they? 
Yeah, so I heard that they were the going to try to create home a neutral team gets site. choice. Home team gets choice. So if Georgia choice wanted to play neutral in it, so let's say, yeah, so let's say let's say it let's say Georgia's the higher seed, they could pick Atlanta, or they could pick Athens, and I think they did that okay. just to appease some of the neutral site people who who have some money involved. Because I mean, if you're stupid if you don't pick your campus. I mean, it should be the first two rounds should be on campuses. Now you're talking about getting me interested in a 12 team playoff, right? I mean, I've eight's been, the better number if we're going to expand to me, but uh, I'll take. Yeah, one. I mean, at that point, it's going to be at 64 in two years anyway. Um, and then the other thing is, I can tell you from my perspective, and I know I've told you this before. I am not. I'm anti devaluing the regular season, like you said, mm-hmm. but I can tell you from my perspective. Penn State, Michigan last year. Michigan, obviously a playoff team. It was raining and 36 degrees, high of 36. So State College was just like tropical at that point. And I can tell you for certain that the people that sat in my section that are season ticket holders and were there every week sold their tickets. And a lot of Michigan fans showed up. And I think the point of that was, well, at that point, remember, Penn State had only lost right. two games. Or maybe at that point right. it was three. With 12-team playoff, if they if you run the table as a Big Ten team in the Big Ten East and go 9-3, and three, you, you know, you're, you're fringe playoff team. I'm not saying they would have been a playoff team, but maybe top 12 in the country. You know, you go beat Michigan State or beat Michigan in that scenario um, and then beat Michigan State. But people just didn't show up. And I know it's the fault of ESPN. I know it's the fault of the mainstream college football media of making these games meaningless. But I can tell you the crowd wasn't packed in at 12 o'clock for that kick. Like Zombie Nation wasn't as fun. I had Michigan fans sitting next to me, which is fine. But like – that game would have more meaning if there was 12 teams getting in. Yeah. And I guess that's the argument and why they're ex- expanding to that is because like the, the argument is going to be like, well, now there's more, there's more value in, in the regular season because now more teams are vying to get in. And it's like, sure, I get that. And that's probably a good thing. And that's right. But also like, I, I don't want to jinx it. Like when's the next time Alabama's going to play a do or die regular season game? Never, and and that's what, or I was even a do or die is, SEC championship potentially. Yeah, like the, last year the SEC championship, no, neither team would have cared. They wouldn't have shown anything because it's like no. well, we're, we're twelve teams. We're yeah. one in, we're one in two. <laughs> we're getting in. exactly. It's like the Iron Bowl last year for Alabama. Like okay, so they lose the Iron Bowl. They wouldn't have like okay, we're still in the playoff, and then we go lose that. They could have lost two weeks in a row the Iron Bowl and the SEC championship, and they still would have been in the national championship in a, in a month. Because they would have yeah. gotten into the playoff and they would have ran the table. And look at the Ohio State Michigan game last year. That yeah, game would have mattered. Been, wouldn't have mattered. Meaningless. Both teams would have been good. And so, like, it just. And that like, sucks. What, well, yeah, what you could say is probably the better football games are going to mean less in terms of, right, like, when you're stinks. getting 1 3 or 1 5 or 2 7 at the end of the season where all those teams are vying for a playoff spot, it's it doesn't matter. You know, like it really just doesn't matter to other than pride. And I'm sorry, football is not basketball. So to me, we're eight minutes in and we're still talking about football. So, but to me, it's like football is not basketball. So, yeah, so for everyone who's like excited, it's like 12 teams, 16 teams, 8 teams, 24 teams, 36 teams. Alabama 
the way Georgia has things rolling, Ohio State, they're probably going to be in the Final Four. Yeah. And then you have your one team, right? Like Then, then you I, have a Cincinnati or, yeah. or a team, a Texas A&M in a couple of years or – or yeah. uh, you know, Oregon, USC, Utah, oh, Penn State, Michigan, like whatever you have that fourteen. Yeah. But like those three teams, the way they recruit and the way they're coached right now, especially saving like no one's gonna like I, UCLA is not gonna roll into to Tuscaloosa in a playoff game or Athens in a playoff game or Columbus in a playoff game and pull some crazy ups- upset or like Coastal yeah. Carolina goes to the final four. Like not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. Yeah. I will say it's not I, basketball. I think you could see some eleven six upset because, like, just imagine a team that kind of gets rolling. Like, you know, like, like let's say Utah, right? For example, this year, right? They lose game one. You know, they could go win the Pac twelve cha- championship and end up, you know, potentially pushing for a playoff spot, but their margin for error is thin. But let's just say, like, that team that has the early season hiccup that starts to come in their own and ends up getting in as an 11 or 12. Like I could see that team beating a five on the road in one game, but in the end, like the same team, if anything, the 12 I worry has that, to go to, has to go to one yeah, of the exactly. top four seeds so, and is going to get steamrolled. Yeah. And it's going to get steamrolled, which is fine, but I think it's going to make those first round games pretty good at home site. But the other thing that people aren't realizing is, Oh yeah. So when Arkansas last year sneaks in as a 12 and absolutely blows the doors off of Utah, because they're a power five conference championship. And then Arkansas sitting there as a final four and your final four is Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, Arkansas. And you're looking at like, what did we just create? We wanted that. We were so yeah. worried about super conferences. Now we're, now we have four sec teams in the final four. Cause that's what's like that. It's going to happen at least once that there's going to be multiple yeah. SEC, four sec teams in the final four. The problem is, is it's like the recruiting, like recruiting just needs to level out. And it, I don't know. I don't see when it's happening. And again, I, I haven't talked this way about Georgia because I haven't wanted to jinx it. And obviously like they just won their first national championship in 41 years, but like Kirby Smart has finished top five in recruiting every year since he's been there. He's finished top five outside of his first year. They finished top five in the country every single year at the end of the year, the, the final rankings, they're, they're top five. And so it's like, they've built that. And then you see them like, like lose 15 guys to the draft and they come out and they roll Oregon 49, three. So I put them in that category now. And it's like, they people are. were like, they Oh, are. we can't just As an keep outsider, watching Georgia. Right. You can't just keep watching Georgia, Alabama, in the national championship. And it's like, well, just pay attention to the regular season. I'm sorry. I might sound arrogant yeah. like that, but it's like, because I love the regular season. Like I'm more locked in. Like I love the regular season. Yes. My team, my favorite team, I then am obviously very amped up for the semifinals and when they're in the conference championship and the national championship. Like, it's like I'm dialed in. Obviously, it's great when they win it all. But to me, it's like I don't look back from last year and just like, oh, man, Georgia won the national championship. That's all I care about. It's like, no, I enjoy the, the 15 weeks of just like – and by the way, if this was a college football podcast, we would be starting this, – this whole episode would be about who is scheduling for some of these schools. Just going to yeah. throw that out there. Because like UNC having to go to App State and NC State going to to ECU and Utah going to the Swamp, it's like, what are we doing? <laughs> you are asking to get beat week one, yeah, two or three one, but, but still, but it's good like, for them. Ooh, good, good for, for them. But if who who schedules them? Like at the end of the day, like Texas A and M played a directional state school. Like, I'm not saying congrats, you have to do that, you know, but Mac Brown have. Have App State and the boys from the Fun Belt come to Chapel Hill? 
Dave Dorn, same thing. Welcome, welcome the welcome the Purple Pirates over to into Raleigh. In the yeah. Carter Finley. Why why are you getting on a bus and doing that? I mean, those places were rocking. Yeah. It's like ECU your... fans hate NC State. Hate them. Well, it's like, right. And it's like, oh man. Like I know you got a veteran QB back there, but it's a, it's the first game of the year. There's no preseason games in college. Like, this is it. You roll them out there. Any rush you got to knock off, like, no shot. College needs a preseason too, by the way. Ah, Something. Or, yes. Yes. Something. Play the directional schools I, in the preseason. What I do like about last thing, I'm sorry, then we'll talk about baseball. But what I do like about college football, and people complain about this. Obviously, beat writers complain about, it, and people have to who have to report on college football are like, there's no open practice like the NFL, so you don't know. Like, there's so much unknown in week one, which is why preseason rankings are f- flipping stupid. But it's like it's the best, like because I was like rolling into the Oregon game as a Georgia fan, like, like okay, I, I trust Kirby. Like they've recruited an unbelievable level, but you, it's going to look different. Like, and you, I haven't seen preseason. I don't get a practice report every day on my phone of like who's where and what's going on. And then like you roll out and you see like Michael Williams, who's a true freshman starting at, at the end. And Smile Mondone is starting next to um, Jamon Dumas, Jamon Dumas Johnson and in, 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 at the backers and like Kamari Lassiter. And you're like, wow, look at these new faces. Like they're just rolling the young pups out there. Play two. Here comes Malachi Starks. Who's a true freshman. You're like, wow. This is awesome. And you don't get to see that. I love that because there's so much I know. So you don't really know. So there's that like tenseness leading into it. Now, you were saying it at Penn State. You just kept like every every two plays. You were like, true freshman. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But I will say that's that's a plug for uh, you to get VIP Dogs 247 because I guarantee yeah, everybody the- who's a VIP subscriber. Oh, the insiders have so much. In- I'm just telling you from the Penn State insiders, I knew every single freshman that was going to play. I knew every single – You knew single- they were going to yeah, play, I- but to still see them roll out there. Like I knew those yeah, that fun. It's cool. guys were going to play, like- but you still weren't sure what it was going to look like because you hadn't seen a preseason game and you weren't getting yeah. a bunch of live Twitter – you know what I mean? Like – NFL, like I'm following the Eagles. Like I've seen AJ Brown make 55 catches in an Eagles uniform through the preseason. Yeah. Now we're a week out. I've seen him make 55 catches already because of practice videos and practice reports and preseason games. And, you know, I've seen Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean, what they look like in, in, in Eagles colors. I, I, I didn't know exactly what – I knew Malachi Starks was going to play, but then there he is diving for an interception backward over his head, and I'm like, oh, that's what it looks like. Like, that, yeah. That's pretty sick. It's pretty sick. Anyway. Fair. 15 minutes in, let's talk about some baseball. Maybe we'll start every uh, top of the week show with some uh, college football. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. Um, I wouldn't mind that either. Um, you went to Atlanta. Real quick, while we're talking about non-baseball, can I keep going real quick on non-baseball related? (laughs) Or do you want me to get on track? (laughs) Saturday, we went to a uh, a North Carolina field hockey game. It was Sunday. I've never – Sunday, yes, sorry, Sunday. Um, Sunday, I went to a North Carolina field hockey game. I have never watched the sport of field hockey before other than like, you know, a couple minutes of the Olympics. Good sport. Yeah, really good sport. First I off, don't North Carolina, I just walking on that campus, man. It's just such a beautiful campus, and like it's the facilities, campus. right? Like they're they're field hockey. They uh, they're like the best field hockey program in the country. The coach, you know, I just learned this. I'm not an expert. I just learned this yesterday because I was reading about it while I was there. But like, so their coach has been there for 
41 years or something like that. She's won, I don't know, seven natties and 23 ACC championship. So they build a stadium. It's like right behind right field of the baseball field. Just the whole mm-hmm. setup down there. It's awesome. Beautiful. The Dean Dome sits awesome. up on a hill and like the football. Yeah. Ah, it's great, man. That football feels like right off Franklin. It feels like it's just, yep. it's sick. It's sick. The whole setup's sick. And those girls are good. Yeah. Those girls are really good. Yeah. Yeah. They the have some only, monsters on their team. Yeah. Like, so, the only concept yeah. I don't understand about field hockey is that you can't use your backhand. I don't. Yeah. Well, as a, as a hockey player. You can use your backhand. You use your backhand. They just can't hit it. You can't hit it with the back of your stick. So they hit backhand. So if I'm left-handed, right, like I'm, I'm, I'm this way. But to hit on my right side, they like and hit their yeah, backhand they flip that it. way. So they hit, they hit with the the front of their stick, but it's still a backhand shot. And they yeah, smoke just smoke it backhanded. Yeah, they smoke it. But I, just use the friggin' like just just like like. Use the backhand of the stick, like yeah. Wow, well, I don't know okay. how else to describe my, it. If I go, if I go toe drag, and I got the goalie on skates, <laughs> like doing the splits, well, and I can't never, flick it in with my backhand. It's never that wide open, just so you know. If I get a breakaway and I'm coming down on a goalie, never, and I think forehand high glove toe drag to the backhand TJ Oshie and Sochi style, I, I'm getting flagged. What are we doing? That's no, all right, okay. To, all right, Tom no, Beto, stop telling me the rules. I know I've been doing this my whole life. I got the backhand, and you're yelling at me in AP gym for using the backhand. All right, everybody needs to relax. Field hockey's never that wide open. First off, so you're never in a breakaway situation because it's just it's hard to move the ball. Like pass percentage, and they played the University of Pennsylvania, who like clearly is not on that level. So like. 90% of the game was just on Penn's side of the field. But um, what I was going to say is those girls are tough. They wear, like, no padding. Yeah. And they, they just, just their shins wearing hat. it. Oh, well, they wear shin guards, like soccer shin guards. But, like, nothing okay. else. The goalies are in, like, hockey, yeah. like, ice hockey goalie gear. And then when they have, like, a – they have, like, penalty corners is what they call them. Yeah. Like, basically, like – the defense just stands in the goal and then comes right, like there's a pass to basically it's like you have like a free pass into the middle of the box for like a one timer. And, uh, and so they like put on, it's awesome. Like the penalties call and it's like corner and like all the defense goes behind the net and then comes out in like these like face shields. And then as soon as it's like clear, they all just take them off and launch them back over the, behind the net. <laughs> and then so, they keep so tell me, they just always go. Do the goalies go Jim Craig stand up, or do they break out a butterfly? You have to. No, you have to go stand up because the goals are seven feet tall, twelve by seven. So it's like you're in a so soccer they, goal. It's impossible, but there is like it is always such a cluster in the box that it's not like you're ever one on. Like you're saying, like there's never even like a pass to like a one on one situation where it's you and a shooter and they can pick a corner. Like basically, like you're trying to score essentially off deflection or with your back to the goal. Like a couple, UNC scored a couple goals where they're, they're they're like back to the goal, like just ripping backhanders, like back to the goal, no look. Essentially, it was sick, and like it's so hard for goalies to make saves, but they don't get that yeah. they don't get that many shots. Like there was probably twenty shots altogether because there's just a lot of like, and there's so many whistles. Like there's so many rules about like stick checking and body positioning where it's like whistle turnover and like, you know. It was fun because it's a small stadium, so you're sitting there and you can hear the ref, which yeah. most polite refs in the world, they said, like, please, after every every call they made. 
it's like, um, D, but anyway, it's like D2 but like, baseball. You yeah, share everything much at, like, the, at the Doyle. Yeah, sure. Much like, yeah, right. Much like, Jerry, real nice guy. Um, Tom, 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 I'm not going to do it today. Anyway, uh, so like every call, there's, there's arguing. Every call, there's arguing, which is fun to like when you can hear that because like they're like, what did I do? It's like, oh. You know, and I'm like constantly asking my wife, like, what's the call? Like, what's the rule? What's the rule here? Which it was fun. Um, it was really fun. Um, it's good to be back in that environment. Um, you know, on like a the big college campus and and with like that atmosphere. Yeah. You know, the spring they watered. So then the other interesting thing is they water down the turf before and at halftime to slow the ball down. Sounds like so competitive like, so advantage. Like, it's like miss coming up. No, they apparently they that's do it. Str- everywhere. That's straight out of like the, a field that's straight hockey. out of the Houston Astros right there. Yeah, it's like well, that's, trash cans that's soak in the turf. Standard. Come on, let's yeah, go, UNC. Well, You're standard. better than that. Well, no, they'd want. My guess would be they would I, want faster. Every time Penn would like Penn would force a turnover in their D zone, and then they would just be trapped, and they'd turn it right back over. And it was like they can't break yeah. out. It's like watching the Flyers play hockey. It's like, oh, good, you stopped the run. Oh, well, it's right back in the zone. Um, <laughs> you were in Atlanta watching baseball. Yes, <laughs> do, I was. doing what we actually actually know and talk about. Break it down for me. I've never, neither one of us, that was your first time to Truist, right? I've never yes. been down there. Um, what's it like? I mean, what a great time of year to go. Early September, they're absolutely oh, yeah. rolling. Uh, standings update. They're game out after the Mets lose two or three to the Nationals this weekend. Um, Braves handle the Marlins. So, what, what was it like? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a it was an okay game um, from my perspective. A snooze fest. Austin Riley solo. Jack Kenley Jansen gives up a run in the top of the ninth. Umpire gets smoked by a foul ball. Has to leave the game because of a concussion. That's fifteen minute delay at the back end, and then what, the Braves what, what, went on a walk off walk. Would we do after what? the uh, after the uh, umpire leaves the game? Were we home plate first third? Umpire yeah. wise. Mm-hmm. Just vacate second. Yeah, yeah. Guy on guy on guy from thirds moving with when a runner goes on first, moving in between. Yeah, going like old, travel ball style. Play, yeah, like playoff play, travel ball, dude. You got solo dolo back there. Well, you know remember I mean. the remember the stretch of travel ball where like people during COVID when they had to ump from behind <sighs> the mound. I'm money behind oh, no. the mound, by the way. No, I no, have no, the no, best no, camp no. strike so. Agreed. You have a great camp strikes, and you, you umped all of our, our inner squads at Goldie Beacom. Unbelievable back there. Um, once you left, also, we, like, really struggled. Like, we were like, oh, what are we going to do? So what me and me and Coach Trait did is we, we went screens behind the catcher, umped from back there while okay. we were doing our charts, just ball strikes back there. Which, yeah, I mean, it's easy. You could see it. You're right on top. We were right on top of it. Yeah. And then, you know, I was I knew what pitch was coming every time. So it's like you could, you could kind of judge. Yeah. You, know, you know what's coming. Um, but – do you remember, were you ever, so post-COVID or in, during COVID that summer of 20, New Jersey rules where you would roll two umpires up to the field. Mm-hmm. One guy would come out in full home plate gear and stand like almost in the on-deck circle oh, and in like the on-deck only circle. call fair foul out safe at home. It's like, you are stealing money, sir. <laughs> You are doing nothing. The guy is umping all three bases and calling balls and strikes behind the mat. You're standing over here eating a hot dog, 
calling fair foul out safe at home, which in travel baseball, we get zero plays at the plate. No. Zero. Because it's usually like you just make sure when the when the run gets walked in that you're watching the guy touch home, like steal him. That was I never understood that one. I sat through and several even, tournaments where it's like, what are we yeah, doing? That that's unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Back to the the umpire situation. So umpire leaves with a concussion, walk off walk. Um, so anticlimactic from that that standpoint it's actually funny like everybody my favorite thing is like so we're in the second deck we had good seats second deck um and we're at my dad third third base right around third base yeah Yeah. Yeah. um so my dad's sitting there like and everybody's complaining kenley jansen's getting quote-unquote squeezed you know the umpires nowadays are Pristine, well, you can really you tell know, from up there. Really good. Yeah, really, exactly. Really and that's good, what my dad. Really good angle from second deck, third yeah. base. <laughs> really good that's what I. That's what. That's what uh, I was saying. It's like my dad's like, ah, that looks like a strike from here. I'm like, and then I, I told my brother. Um, I said my favorite story from this year, um, was we're sitting there and in the in the dugout. You know, people nowadays are at least man enough to admit they can't see in or out, right? squares up oh, a catcher can't see in or out yeah so we're sitting there and ball was low right kind of it was pretty borderline and question from the dugout comes jerry was, was that it? in or out <laughs> calm calm was that was that in or out jerry brian, goes brian brian no, I'm not no, doing here that it today is. brian here no 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 here it is <laughs> It was low. <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> I can see high and low. Yeah, yeah I can't see well, in and out. That was not effing low. <laughs> well, this is what this is what drives me nuts about umpires because, you know, as a pitching coach, I, I never talk to umpires. I, I used to hate when I would go out to the mound and umpires would try and, like, buddy-buddy up to me. Because like, we're not friends. You're doing a job. I'm doing a job. And I'm not out here for a good time. Usually when I – because I hated going out there. So when I go out there, like, I we got problems on our hands. So don't, you know – don't come out here and talk to me like we're friends. You know, when we're when you're walking back to the plate and I'm walking back to the dugout and we're BSing because you've probably made some calls that I don't like. But, you know, I used to sit there and, like, I never talked to Empire Source. You know, Skip would always do it. And it used to just drop. Ump- you have to know we can't see in and out. Yeah. So always just say in or out. Yeah, exactly. Like, like just why say are you in or out. Never just say, say high low. Out. We can see high low. Just be like, yep. even if it, even if you called it a ball because it was a low, and we're asking where it is, just be like out. None of out. no one would 100%. say anything. I mean, nobody. I'd probably I'd probably ask the catcher via you know now that we got the the comms, you know I'd probably be like Marshall, was that out? And he would just shake his head. And I because I'm the only one who's getting the answer, I'm not going to say anything. So like yeah. Just so stupid. Just it's just like the check swing thing. Yeah, it's like just like the check swing. Just, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't call it. It's like we, we got the yeah. side angle. Don't just don't call it. Just point. Just, just point. Yeah. Um, apparently, so anyway, so apparently the yeah. MLB wants the home plate umpire to make that call. I heard that. Where did where did we hear that? Uh, the two Yang Gomes, the compound. No, the yes, Yang yeah, yeah, Gomes yeah, yeah, on the Gomes compound on podcast. The compound. Which I found uh-huh. fascinating. Fascinating. Stupid, but because fascinating. Because that's a hard call. Jan Gomes was like, call. I don't know. I don't know half the time. Yeah. Whether it go or not. Anyway, how was so was uh, was the place filled up? 
Yeah, it, it was filled atmosphere. up. I mean, they they did such a good job and with that stadium, and I'm sure it's kind of the modern stadium um, idea. But the whole point of it is, is around the stadiums, what's called the battery. So they put it in kind of a Atlanta suburb. Um, they really wanted to make it more family friendly, um, and Atlanta suburbs are just huge. Like, right. you know, it's not like it's putting it in like you know, rural America or rural right. Georgia. You're, well, you're not, you know. right. You're not in Blackshear, Georgia. Right? Yeah, exactly. So like, it's, it's still like, it's very close to Marietta, which is just, you know, there's so many people that live in that area, but, um, and they, they really did a good job with the outside of the stadium. And the reason I say that is because there's bars, there's restaurants, there's live music, and it's like a whole gathering right on the outside of the stadium nice. there's apartments there's hotels there's shops like everything you could imagine they have on the outside of the stadium and it just makes it way more family friendly so you know from that standpoint especially with the dogs playing at 3:30 like it was packed and it, and nice. it was a good crowd then the crowd starts to filter into the game they were all at the bar you know like let's just say like i always say like this is a scenario like you know let's just say me and you went to a a baseball game at the Braves game. Well, Danielle and Sarah are, are like, we're staying out here. You guys go. It's like, now yeah. you have that as an option. And that was the Braves idea with it. And I'm sure it's not the first time a stadium's done that. Um, but it, it, they really did a good job with that idea in mind. And the stadium was just a great place to watch a ball game. Food was affordable. Um, that's another thing that they they made a point when they made the stadium was food options are going to be affordable. Beer is not, but food options are wow. affordable. So they did a really good job with that stadium. A lot of people talking about the dogs. <laughs> There's a lot of people wearing dogs here. A lot yeah, oh yeah. of people. It's good a lot of Alabama um, too down there. Oh, of course. Of course. Cause I mean, that's yeah. all those States are room for the breaks, right? Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, all yeah. Braves of South Carolina, your Braves fan. Um, the food, did you eat at the Chop House? No, it was packed. Saturday. Uh, really? Saturday can't even get at in the there. Chop House. Yeah, no, can't even get in. Don't even think about get... it. Yeah. Well, also, it's nice that food's affordable. That's what happens when you have a GM who isn't just signing free agents to plug roster holes. In Philly, it's like you want some peanuts. It's thirty-four fifty because you just signed Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber. We're already paying JT and Bryce Harper. So, like, you, you're not getting anything affordable. I'm sure if you go up to, like, same thing if you go up to, like, City Field. And we, you see the contract we just gave Lindor and Scherzer? Yeah, that bottle of water will be thirty-two seventy-five plus tax. Maybe. State tax. Maybe. They that's the plug that they tell these young guys to sign for cheaper. Like, hey, listen, like, you know, do you see how much water costs at a game here? Like, that's like two fifty. Like, we can't. Yeah, no shot. We can't Ronald be signing. Ronald doesn't care how much the people. Ronald Cunha doesn't care how much the people in right field pay for a bottle of water. I'm sure, that's low on. Hey, I don't know. I'll whatever. What, Dansby Swanson definitely doesn't care what people are paying for. Wait, that man wants his money. I can tell you whatever they're saying to those guys to get them to sign. I don't know what it is, but it's working. I just think a lot of <clears throat> a lot of those guys into the situation. Like you think about like Matt Olson and stuff and Dansby. Like how much good talent? Like how many major leaguers are from the state of Georgia and Florida? So you get to play closer to home, right? Like Olson, it's a yeah. hometown deal, right? Like for Olson, he wants to stay there. I think that's why Dansby really wants to get a deal done there. Um, for guys like mm-hmm. Cunha and Albies, I just think some of it probably has to be with one they hadn't proven themselves yet. So it's like. Okay, I'm gonna take this money. I've never had this much money in my life. I'm there, yeah. like 
they're betting on me getting better. They're doing something that you that is smart in the sense that for so many years, right? Like the one that always sticks out to me in my mind because my dad never could get over it is right. Like the Phillies paid Ryan Howard for what he had done in the past, right? And yeah. so many free agent contracts and contracts that are handed out in sports are for past performance. And the Braves have done such a good job evaluating their own talent, right? You brought it up. I think mm-hmm. it was last week with Michael Harris, like in Christian Pache. It's like, well, we know Harris is going to be the better one. So we're going to clear room for him. We're going to let him get up here, get his feet wet, make sure that we're right, that he's going to produce, and then we'll sign him. And that's what they did with Albies and Acuna. Yeah. It's like, we're going to pay you for what we think your future performance is going to be, which is the optimal way if you could, right? That's how you'd want to run your organization. That's why they're doing such yeah. a good job of it. It's impressive. And Well, the Rays did it with... Franco the Rays are doing it with Mariners just did it with Julio Rodriguez with Julio. Too. Well, and I think people are going to people are starting to see that. Oh, this just makes so much more sense to me. Yeah. Let's pay for future performance instead of what you've done. Because how like when you're paying for past performance, you're paying for an older player. And then I also yeah. think again, like guys like Acuna and Albies is like I know this organization. They're always going to draw in Georgia because baseball is so important down there. So they're yeah. always going to have packed stadiums. Why not take the the lesser potential deal than waiting out all those years? Right, you just get your money now. Yeah, it makes sense. Like you know, because some people are like, sense. oh, it's a steal. It's a, those players. Are, the, those the, players aren't getting cheaped out anymore. The, the Albies deal is the Albies deal is crazy. The Albies one, I, the Acuna one. Still not, though, seven for one hundred. Albies is getting seven for thirty five. <laughs> Yeah, and he's getting paid this year and not hasn't played since May. True, but he also hit thirty pumps last year with twenty. Sure, bags. he did hit. He did hit thirty pumps last year. So there's going to be years like that, though. And, and you never yeah, for know. Five, I mean, though. they might extend. Yeah, you do. Know. It was a seven year yeah. deal, right? It's not a twelve year deal. He's gonna. Yeah. They cut into his again. When you think about what they did there, seven years, yeah. he's still going to be in prime years when he hits free agency. So yeah, again, well, like, and their the players not losing out. And they're paying him five million when he's in arbitration. Technically, when they sign, he's so like he's all those making five fifty. Yeah, they're just goes to making arb, up for it on about, the back here. And think if he's in arb right now, and he misses pretty much the whole year, what's he making in arbitration at, or what he, or less than what he made from arb last year? Yeah, because he didn't play. So instead, they're skipping yeah. that. And then again, how old's he going to be when his deal's done? research department will have to get on it but he's probably going to be what 28 28 years probably old when that deal's done so st- and who's not going to pay if he stays healthy and continues to produce like he has who's not going to pay a 28 year old ozzy albies a ton of money with a lot of years he's going to get the exact deal that you'd want yeah so, so even the, Oz- the albies deal i would say is it's team and player friendly it's just good five more years from today so he'll be 30 or from 30. this year, five more years. 30. So he's still going to get paid. He's not going to be 32, 33, which is what I think Acuna is going to be, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's fair to me. Um, Trevor, out on the Yankees. Yeah, I, I texted you this weekend saying I'm out on the I Yankees. I hate this podcast, by the way. We're going to over here and we're going to rip the, we're going to rip the Yankees and we've had about four episodes talking about how great the Mets are. Well, after after they we said we were out on them, they Frankie Montas goes out and there's five one-hit innings w- with seven punchies. 
And he's because somebody, going. whether it's Trevino or Frankie Montas or Matt Blake, listened to the pod on Thursday and heard us talk about just like throw the splitter. Just yeah, throw it. Seam. Throw the splitter in the four seam. I mean, he looked great. But still, yeah, I, and go they ahead. Won, they, had go a clean win. they had a clean win today too. But, I mean, I just – you said it today. I just think they're flawed. You know, I, I just yeah. really do think they're flawed. I don't think their lineup's as good as people think. I think it's Aaron Judge and Co. I mean, and I do think Donaldson has. I did look at the numbers. I know we talked about it. He's had some tough luck this year. He's put some balls in play. His exit velocity numbers are above average. His max exit velocity, his barrel percentage is above average. His walk percentage is above average. But for some reason, he's just not putting it together in the stat sheet. You know, I know he's had a couple of walks over the weekend, a couple of good at bats. So if he starts turning it around, that I, I really do think he's the straw that stirs the drink. You know, and I know he's old. He's 36 years old. <clears throat> Sorry. But, you know, I do think, like, he's the difference maker in that lineup, right? You get rid of a, a of talent, you know, like Mark DeRosa said it on CC Sabathia's podcast. Like, he would have only traded Joey Gallo if Joey Gallo came in and said, I'm, I can't do it anymore just because he's dynamic and he change when he is on and when he can be a piece in that lineup, he changes the length of your lineup, you know, and Ben attendee is just not somebody who scares you. Now he's hurt. DJ LeMahieu doesn't scare you now. You know, he's not hitting as well. John Carlos Stanton comes off the injured list and I don't think he's had a hit yet. And he, you know, and he just left today with an injury and, you know, it just, you look at that lineup top to bottom and it just I, I it I don't see it winning in a playoff series against good pitching when they pitch around judge. No, and I, to me that that's that's what it's all about, right? To me it's all about the fact that that lineup is just not a playoff lineup. To your point, they are just going to pitch around Aaron Judge. What Aaron Judge is doing is historic. Right? He's got 54 yeah. pumps now. Right. And he's doing it as the only guy in the lineup that's producing anything. And they're grasping at straws for anything. And you look at the rest of the guys, and yes, a lot of these other guys can start to produce, right? But DJ LeMay, yeah. who's been banged up, he's getting a little bit older, right? Stanton can't stay healthy. His timing's all out of whack. Donaldson's mm-hmm. just, right? Donaldson's Donaldson. He's over the hill. IKF is not the player they brought him in to be. He has not done that. Hicks hasn't hit all year. The catchers, cool. right? Trevino has been playing way above his head this year. And so it's like, yeah. you look at that lineup and you're like, well, what scares me? There's outs. Like, there's what there's scares me in that lineup? Outs. Aaron Judge. If you're telling me that I can pitch around Aaron Judge and they'll probably have him in the three hole when the playoffs roll around, and let's say they're full health, right? So it's like, okay, so now I'm pitching to a lineup that's Ben Attendee, LeMayhew, Stanton, Donaldson, IKF. Trevino, like, what am I worried about here? Rizzo? You're not. I mean, again, Rizzo's an older guy. Like, okay, I'm happily when if I'm a playoff roster with a deep pitching staff, if I'm the Rays or I'm the Astros, especially if we if, if they get past the divisional round and they're in a CS matchup with the Astros, what do the Astros have to be worried about if they just, just don't let Judge hurt you and you win a seven yeah. game series? You can because yeah. the pitching isn't deep enough. I'll tell you right now, the pitching's not deep enough. Cole's not perfect. Cole's not Jake, Jacob DeGrom. Cole's not, you know, he's not the, the, the he's not Justin Verlander. 
So it's like, okay, so now Nestor Cortez, aren't you a little bit worried about the, you know, the floor falling out of this, this, this season that he's had? I mean, he's put it together. He's been absolutely fantastic. He's done a great job mixing, but now like we haven't seen him in the playoffs and I hate to be that person that's like, Oh, what has he done? Big game. But I, I mean, I'm a little worried because some of that stuff's shaky with Nestor because he's pitching the contact. He's yeah. not a true ace. So like it's like they're not deep. And then where do you go in game three? Who do you who are you rolling out there? I mean like, damn, wouldn't it be nice to have a guy like Jordan Montgomery right now? Yeah. I mean, you sound you sound straight out of New York sports media right now. I'm a little <laughs> bit more bullish on the pitching staff. From my perspective, I think Frankie Montas, assuming he's getting healthy and getting figured out, that's who I'm – I mean, the guy who went five one-hit innings against the Rays with seven punches and 23 swings and misses in five innings. Fair enough. I, I'm hearing you. And, yes, what they're doing with Montas is great, right? You, We looked at it yesterday. You, we looked at the numbers yesterday. He threw 16 splitters yesterday, nine – or 16 splitters that were swung at yesterday out of, I think, 23, and nine were swings and misses. It's an elite pitch. We've been begging him to throw it, and yes, Frankie Montes could be good. I'm not sitting here. I don't, I don't want to be New York sports media and sitting here and saying they're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to win the division. They're not still. I'm strictly speaking, if I'm looking at the Yankees and the Astros in a, a seven-game yeah. ALCS series, that's where the concern comes in. Again, Verlander Cole, give me Verlander. Give me every guy after that the Astros are going to roll out there matching up against any of the Yankees pitchers, especially with the lineup. Because when you look at it, it's not just Montas versus Framber Valdez. No, the lineups they're having to throw to, right? You're telling me Montas navigating an Astros team that has a a MVP candidate, it has Alex Bregman, who's a former MVP candidate, who's on fire, Michael Brantley, Jose Altuve, Jeremy. Like, give it to me. Like, yeah. It's the it's the Astros two three four five six seven eight at, yeah. for sure. I I, I and that's what I we're just and think, the thing that really yeah. go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say I just think the the holes in their lineup aren't competitive. If that makes sense, right? And what I mean by that is like, sure, as a pitcher, you might be like, oh, like. I could get Jeremy Pena out one out of every or four, three out of every four times. Like he could hit 250 against me or get on base at a 25% clip against me. But like that dude's going to battle, you know, like IKF, like you're okay. Like I throw him a cookie, hits a single. Like he just, like they just don't scare you. Gleber Torres is lost right now. Like I really, I really do think, like I know they called up um, Peraza and. I, I think they just need to call up Volpe and just try to get that Juan Soto effect of like this guy just comes up and he's dynamic and he just makes a difference. Doesn't that prove the point right there though? If we're sitting here yeah. and we're calling for Peraza and Volpe in September, guys who haven't touched a big league field in their lives yet, we're yeah. calling for them in September of a pennant race to then do something that we haven't seen done. Like that, that explains it right there that it's like, we're in trouble. If that's what we are yeah. counting on, to me that says we're in trouble. The Dodgers aren't sitting around saying that. The Astros aren't sitting around saying that. Even the Rays aren't sitting around saying that, right? They've now found yeah. a way to put it together when they've had more injuries in baseball than anyone, and you feel better almost about them. Now, in a, in a seven-game series, I still like the Yankees over the, the Rays. I even might still like them in a five-game series over them. But the, the tricky thing with the Rays, again, is, is – 
at least some of the holes in those line in that lineup that the Rays have, you know, they're going to put together competitive at bats. Yeah, You're, they're yeah. going to put nine up on you like they did on Friday. And to me, that worries me for the end. This is too long of a stretch. Me and you sat here, and, and we sat here after the All Star break, and we were like, "They're just every team goes through at one sixty two, and yeah. we kept saying it. We kept saying it. We kept saying. It. Here we are in September, and we're still talking about still the struggles going. they're having. It's still going on. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've never really been a believer in Aaron Boone. I haven't. I just think that sometimes he's he's outsmarted himself in the playoffs one too many times. He's gotten into big series with the Rays, and he's tried to play the Rays game instead of just doing what makes the Yankees successful and letting the team do it. Right? He's tried to get a little bit cute in Rays series. Right? He's tried to play Kevin Cash's game, and I've never been a big believer in them. I've always liked the Yankees because they always roll out a ton of talent. But this team... I thought was very flawed in spring training. And then they played above their heads a little bit, and you're getting a historic season out of Aaron Judge. But when you get to this point in the year, you can't rely on one guy. And it's incredible what he's doing. The pressure that he's under to, one, chase down history as far as the all-time home run record for the franchise, the most historic franchise in the sport, and also can't be a one-man show for a, a team. It's incredible that he continues to produce. But I, I mean, I'm they're in trouble to me. Yeah, I I think when you look at the team, because I, I am I am a fan of Aaron Boone's because I think he's a I I think managers are overvalued. Like that's the best way I'd put it. Like I, I just think like you. That's just my opinion. It's always been my opinion. I've always defended a manager. I've always, as long as you're a good guy and the players like you and they can trust you, I think, and you can milk that out of those guys, I think that's all that matters. And I think that's kind of my point. Like, I just think bullpen decisions, like there's so much information right now, like that you go by, you go with the information, they blow up. Well, the information, like you take your chances. And, And I think that's why you look at like, like everybody says, oh, Davey Martinez, when he was with the Nationals, his bullpen management stinks and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, then they win the World Series and nobody's like, well, their bullpen's still stunk. No, you won. And, you know, Dusty Baker's a okay in-game manager. It's like, well, that guy is really good manager and he goes to the Astros and when he has the talent at his disposal and it's like, hey, well, you know, when we want you to throw this reliever, it's Ryan Presley who is gross and it's this guy who throws a hundred with a split and it's this guy who's amazing. So it just, the personnel matters. And that's not my way of saying this is Cashman's fault. I do think when you look at this team, you know, I think in theory, the IKF deal made sense. In theory, the catching situation made sense. But I think a part of that theory was if we get Rizzo to be Rizzo, which Rizzo's had a great year, but then he got banged up and he slowed quick. And then you have Glaber be what he was in the first half, which Glaber was having a great year, and now he can't hit anything. And then you have your defensive first shortstop. And, you know, if you look at Donaldson's peripherals from last year, there was reason to believe he was still going to be an above average, well above average power hitter in the six hole of that lineup. And then you have your defensive first catcher and you're like, okay, that's a good infield, right? That's a play. That's a world series caliber infield. In my opinion, when you look at it, but everything had to go right. And then you have the corner outfield. 
Joey Gallo, well, he gets his feet under him. You know, he's going to be a big piece in that lineup. And then whoever in center field, I guess you could say Aaron Hicks, which I guess that's probably the biggest flaw in that lineup. And then Judge in center and Stanton DHing. Like, you know, in theory, like if all those pieces, like right now, Rizzo, Torres, Donaldson, Stanton aren't below average big leaguers in terms of value that they're bringing offensively. And that's where this lineup makes me go, mm, you don't scare me, you know? Right. Well, and that, so again, so a couple, there's a lot there that to unpack on what you just said. The, the first point to, to Aaron Boone is I agree. What managers do in game decision wise is majorly overvalued, right? Brian Snitker isn't an X's and O's genius, but Snit gets the best out of those guys, and those guys play hard. They play with their hair on fire. They play confidently. They never panic. They never go through stretches like we're seeing with the Yankees. And the Yankees have done this for, I feel like, almost every year under Aaron Boone, this conversation happens. Could that be because they're the Yankees? Yes. But also, I think part of my issue then, too, is, is, when he then does, when he gets into the series like he does with the Rays and he tries to mimic what they're doing instead of managing to the personnel he has, which is what you should do as a major league manager because you don't have that much control over the game, then you are now taking away, right? Managers don't win you games, but they can sure as heck lose you games. And you, you see it all. What makes Dave Roberts so great? Dave Roberts stands there with his arm hanging over the railing and he just hangs out. And the guys love him because he's super laid back. He's an honest guy. He expects a lot out of them. He treats them great. And guys like Joey Gallo, who can't crack it in that clubhouse in New York, come over and start to look like Joey Gallo from Texas, right? Same thing with Snit. Why are the Mets not collapsing this year? They may be. They're game back, but it's the Braves, right? The Mets are still a really good team. But, like, because Buck comes in, and all of a sudden, Buck creates – he's not doing some crazy – you know, he's – There is no game plan that he's putting in, right? There's no formation changes. It's not football, but Buck goes in there and those he creates a culture that those guys are comfortable in, and he's done it everywhere he's been. And again, I think that Yankee, the Yankees one is a hard one, and you're held to a different standard. As far as the personnel that they have and the guys in that clubhouse, you just ran down that list, right? And to me, that's what the issue is. Is to be a playoff team, you can bank on having IKF be a defensive first guy. You can bank on the fact that Donaldson is going to still be a productive player at age 36. You can still bank on the fact that, you know, Rizzo, who's a streaky guy, is going to be streaky and, you know, be on the upswing enough to carry you into the playoffs. You can bank on – you can do all these things. Glaber Torres not being as terrible as he was last year, which in the first half of the season looked like he had found the swing, right? He wasn't trying to – he wasn't going to have to hit for the power, but he was going to be super productive and find gaps. But when you're when you're putting all those qualifiers on guys and then you're trying to beat the Astros, the Braves, the Dodgers to win a World Series, you can't do it, right? Like we don't put those qualifiers on the Astros. We don't put those qualifiers on the Dodgers and we don't do it to the Braves either. Because for some reason, the guys in those clubhouses, right? They produce. We're not saying, oh, if you can get Trey Turner to do X, Y, and Z. No, he just does it. Mookie Betts is going to be an MVP. Freddie Freeman, they're loaded. The Astros, same way, right? No one's putting a qualifier on anyone in that lineup. 
And for me, that's where the Yankees fall short. And I, I mean, I think it's, and I guess it's really not an excuse because it's always been the way, but just, I just feel like it's just different in that city, in that uniform. And, you know, like there's just a different pressure on everything. Everything you do is magnified. Every over four is magnified. It's talked about. And, you know, I don't think, you know, I think Aaron Boone sits there and takes it on the chin in front of the media and he doesn't call out his players and he makes it a point not to. And I think the guys do appreciate that, but I just, and again, I don't, I don't know what the right thing is. I, I think it's just a matter of, I really do think it's just luck and then it's just confidence building and and to be able to perform in New York because I just think, again, it's just a different beast. I mean, it's like, you know, just everybody, like Rizzo struggling, Benintendi coming out the gates of the trade deadline struggling, and it's just like Aaron Hicks is horrible. I mean, I I don't like calling out players like that, but, I mean, he's at the point now where he's really horrible. It's really bad it's a baseball. Shame too, and it's a really good player. No one's going to remember it. Yeah, and he was really good for the Yankees for Rose a couple really good years. Player and, was a, and was a really good player in Minnesota. Yeah, and it's just like everybody expects every player to be Aaron Judge and what Aaron Judge is doing, and there is a level of pressure there. And it's like even Garrett Cole's having a great year. He has 200 strikeouts in 150 innings. He's pitching to a a low three, and it's like that's not good enough for them because he lays one egg, and everybody's like, oh, he's not an ace. It's like whereas when you know Clayton Kershaw lays an egg, when Walker Buehler lays an egg, it's the freaking fan base isn't calling for his job and to get right. rid of him or anything like that. It's just, it, it's so weird. And, and again, like I said, it's, it, it's not an excuse because it's what the Yankees have always dealt with. So like even bringing it up is kind of like, okay, well, what, what are you trying to get at? You know, like well, what's the resolution? I, I, I don't know what the resolution is. Cause it's not like you, like Donaldson is, was deemed, you know, this tough dude who can handle it. And I think he can handle it, but I think he's got a little bit of mother effort in him. Who's going to, piss back at the fan base you know but here's here's my thing and i think that those are just the breaks right them them the breaks when you play for the yankees it's different i'm sorry yeah but that's how it is that's there's nothing that you can do or say to change it i don't agree with the fact that the fan base is that way and that the media media does that right that the michael k show is going to be on there every day and callers are going to be calling in talking about this guy's a bum that guy's a bum and yeah. It, the pressure is just more there. That's how it is. Sorry, everyone. That's part of what made Derek Jeter so stinking great. Yeah. Jeter did not care. Jeter truly didn't care. Jeter never needed to piss back at the at the fans. He never needed to piss back at the media. Jeter just went out there and was Derek Jeter. And that's what make, is making Aaron Judge so great. Aaron Judge has a completely different vibe than almost everyone else on that team. To me, it feels like. And yeah, yeah, I'm not asking those guys to be that. I'm saying that's the type of person it takes, right? Is those those personalities. And I honestly truly think I think John Carlos Stanton is a lot that way too. Right? Stanton, when he first got there, he took the booze. He's done that and he's put together some good years. And it's a shame because the, the only issue with Stanton is he just can't stay healthy. 
because I yeah. think if Stanton never got hurt this year and he continued to roll and he hadn't lost his timing and missed all those at-bats, we would be feeling a lot better about this team. Yeah. Right? Because Stanton's the same. Stanton doesn't care. They booed him in his like the first game as a Yankee. He was getting booed. He didn't care. He just yeah. continued to post. And that's the type of guy it takes because, sorry, that's how it is. Like Josh Donaldson, you're yelling at Jeffrey. Like the most bizarre thing I saw all weekend was – Donaldson chirping Jeffrey Springs to throw him throw more fastballs. You won't when he just got saw three and stared at the last one down the middle for a punch out. It's like you're over two with two Ks. What do you do? Like, are we that? Like, I, I, it's weird. They just have a yeah. weird vibe. It's just a, the yeah. way they're put together. They just have a weird vibe. I th- and I like I I don't know what like I think from an off season perspective like I don't know what they need either like. I, I think Corey Seager would have been the perfect fit. Like, I hate to go back that's and do another that. another guy that's I, a I, West Coast I, guy. Yep. Yeah, like, and he's just like, and again, like, this is why, okay, so I think I just answered my own question because I, I'm going to tell you, and I don't think that the Yankees had the resources to make the Juan Soto trade, but what they need is a player that's flaws cannot be magnified. Right. right, that even when they struggle, they offer something, and that was my whole point. Why is want like because all Yankee fans are like, well, we get Soto and then we lose Judge. Okay, whatever. But you had both for the stretch, and you wouldn't have gotten a trade done. But let's just say hypothetically, in this world, you could have done it. Whereas, like, okay, when you're in in pinstripes, right, and let's just say as a hitter, you have a tendency to strike out a lot. Guess what? They all they talk about when you have that one game where you strike out four times. Strikes out too much. He strikes out too much. Or the guy right. that doesn't hit for enough power. Oh, he does. IKF or Ben Benintendi. Oh, he doesn't hit for enough power. He doesn't hit for enough power. It doesn't matter what you do, but what Corey Seager, what Juan Soto can do is like Juan Soto has is one for his last 24 now because I don't think he's had a hit today. And he's still on basing 350. Right. Because he's two walks a game. So right. that's what they need is an, a complimentary piece that, okay, that guy might strike out too much, but he's still hitting homers. Or that guy might not hit for power, but he's still hitting for contact. Like even during their slumps, they're still producing value, which I guess that's the best baseball players in the league. But I believe that's what Corey Seager could have offered is the, okay, like, like look at Corey Seager this year. He's hitting 250, which is not a Corey Seager year, but he has 30 home runs. And it's like, oh, well, that's pretty good. Whereas Rizzo slumped for like most of the second half. He has like seven homers and he's, he's not like going to get on 40. base for you. Right, yeah. he's not going to do that. And I think the thing that's tough for them too is that now, in the like, what do you do in the off season? Is I don't think throwing a bunch of money at the problems is going to be the right thing either. And that's of course what the fans and the media are going to want to do is Trey Turner and every big name out there. And I don't necessarily think that's that. I think Cashman had some of the right ideas with IKF, and we had talked about that before. Too. It's like I think the right answers are probably like get Peraza and get Volpe up there and get the new guys in there who can who are going to turn into these stars. I definitely think throwing money at Aaron Judge is the right answer. And then, you know, find yourself a center fielder. Get Hicks out of there. You got Ben – is Ben Intendi a rental? He's not, right? Uh, Doesn't he have another year of control? I don't think so. I think he has two – yeah. Yeah. I'll look so, it up for like, you. So you, you got it. You're in a good spot. And so this offseason, I think it's going to be about getting creative and not just throwing money at the problem. 
Because you're right. Ben and Tenny's a rental. Who, he is a rental. Still, yeah. get creative and find ways where it's like, okay, when, when we have these guys who go through the lulls, they are still bringing something, right? And it's the same thing. Like, And, it, and I always hate to turn to Philly, but again, the, the roster, I know the best. But when you look at Bryce Harper, why is he – again, he's going to get on base when he's streaky. But when he's not hitting and he's not hitting for power, he's getting on base and he's still collecting hits. Reese yeah. Hoskins, on the other hand, doesn't. So then he gets a bunch of ire from the media and the fan base for when he goes on the downswings. It's like, yeah, but if he just walked as much as Harper did and you realize that, you know, at the end of the year, their power numbers are pretty similar, uh, yeah. pretty productive player, right? And so like, when you yeah. build a roster like the Yankees have with a bunch of these guys who are streaky and they're just bringing one thing to the table, Rizzo, Donaldson, Stanton, when they get cold, it turns into this. And I still think they can yeah. do more with the starting staff. I really do. And Severino's killed them. Severino not being healthy killed them because, again, I think we're having a different conversation. If Stanton never gets hurt and Severino never gets hurt, I think we're having a different conversation tonight. I think they're fine. Yeah. And there is no panic right now. So, but, like, we're over here talking about we're out on them. Like, do you think that that could happen? Like do you do you think if if you get Stanton two eighty with power Rizzo back to the beginning of the year and Severino healthy with Montas and that staff you think they're running the table? No, no, I don't. I just think that I think that there's too many. Lo- I think there's three legitimate teams in the NL, and I think there's a legitimate team that they're not going to be able to get past in the AL. And yeah. I just think that Severino, you're not going to get that back. He it's he's it's he's missed too much time. You, you, you're not going to see Severino be able to pitch that. And I think Montas is going to continue to get better and as he gets healthier. I think that's going to be a nice piece. Now, I could be completely wrong. And I really do hope that Stanton gets healthy and you start to see the the, the Stanton of earlier in the year where he's on time. Because right now it just looks like he's not on time. Well, he hurt Watch his foot just, today. He got and then he hurts the his game. Foot. And like that, there it is. Like there it is, right? Oh, I didn't even know that. There it is. So – that for me, that's just really tough, and that's just like, yeah, I just can't see I, it happen. I don't see Glaber turning it around either. Nah. Like, I, I don't know they what's call wrong. Lightning like, in a bottle. It's unfortunate they played their best bait. Like, if they could have sw- just, if you just flip, imagine if you could just flip the season. If they come out yeah. like this, and then they go on a, a, a crazy run from July on, went to win the division and roll into the postseason. That would have been ideal, and that's what makes it hard. That's what, and that's what makes it fun yeah. to me too. It's like that's why it's a hundred sixty-two yeah. game season, man. It's well, a bear, and, and you and you tell me too. Like, tell me, clubhouse culture doesn't matter, right? right. And I, I know you know the running joke is you know we can't go an episode, but like, say what you want. There is not a single person that said a, a single player or coach that said a ne- single negative thing about Joey Gallo. Opposing right. announcers would sit there and talk about how he's struggling, but the guys love him. He was always right. the first guy to high five Aaron Judge when he hit a home run. He was always the first guy to high five whoever, whether he was starting or not, whether he was 0 for 3 or not. And again, like I'm not saying Ben Intendi's an A hole. I, I, I have intel that Harrison Bader might, but <laughs> Harrison Bader is. like. Yeah, I've never met him. So I'm not I'll, gonna I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. Harrison Bader is okay. Not a fan. Harrison of Harrison Bader is. I am not a fan. Of, I, I will go with that. I'm not a fan of him. 
And I think guys knew that was the reality, but it just makes like, and Rizzo is the ultimate clubhouse guy. Like, oh, and I know at the beginning of the guy. year, he had Giancarlo paid to have a DJ come on the field for oh, BP and, and, and like they and were Judge having a great fun. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, don't think they have that right now and they they I mean they still have their core clubhouse guys but I just I I'd imagine the way it feels when you watch a game those guys are just not enjoying coming to the yard right now and I do think and again I don't know if it's because of the trades they made it's I don't know if it's because of the the culture that they have because it's very very similar small differences between the beginning of the year and now but you know, again, like it's just t- it's got to be tough to watch. Like, because when 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 that guy was struggling in Joey Gallo, he was still a great teammate, right? How do we right. know that Harrison Bader is being a good teammate while he's working through rehab? We don't. And I think th- I think because he's not playing, there's probably enough good guys in that clubhouse to snuff out a Harrison Bader, right? No one cares. Yeah. Like again, like Nestor's. You hear a ton about how Nestor's a great, great. teammate. Trevino's like, Everybody great. loves Trevino's great. But also, I think the thing with that is when you start to play bad, that stuff has to be everything. Organic. You can't, mm-hmm. and you can't force the DJ on the field, and you can't force the, the fun, right? I, I was a little ticked off for Yankees ground, grounds crew, but remember when the pitchers were chewing up the gum and, and trying to land it on the, on the sprinkler head? In foul territory, yeah. like that stuff is enforced, man. Like just those moments and those things. You've been in a clubhouse before, you know that. Sometimes with those teams, and when you try and force it or recreate it, usually it happens year to year. But even yeah. when you're talking about a major league baseball season that's so long, when you try and recreate some of that stuff from the beginning of the year, it just it feels forced, and guys get tired, guys get banged up, guys start to struggle, and they're just not in the mood for it. And they are human beings, right? Like so, think yeah. about when you're going through a bad stretch of going to a nine to five job, and you just don't want to do it. You can't force the energy, and you yeah. can't force the enthusiasm and the want to, and that makes it really tough to show up. And and that. And that's like the other thing is like, I, you know, I always think about it from like the best cultures I've ever been a part of, whether it's even workplace or baseball wise, coaching and playing when people that struggle show up and still are happy, it makes the other guys just so much better. You know what I'm saying? When somebody who's, when somebody, when your leadership has to come from something and this is the, it's going to sound so backwards. But leadership in terms of culture, culture is defined by the last person on your roster, right? Yeah. Culture is defined by that person struggling. And the when your true leader in terms of the energy they bring is somebody who's not playing, that gives you so much exponential growth in terms of culture. Because the guy who goes 0 for 3, when the dude who's not playing picks you up and he's still happy and cheering on his teammates and everybody knows like these guys are professional athletes. Like that just makes you go like, oh, it's you know, it's it's okay. But when everybody's moping around and slumping it, it ruins it everything. I would say though I would say though that even in baseball, baseball and football, right? Like you think of rosters that are big, you can still have one guy who doesn't love being there, but if he's a guy who doesn't yeah. matter, like you could have a Bader there. Yeah, and it can. doesn't matter if Bader's in a hole and you and if, if the collective hole like I think back remember the twenty the twenty one uh Goldie team that we were part of, everyone loved showing up and being there together. Like if you think about on the whole sure there were a couple there was probably one or two guys who were like eh but outside of those one or two everyone from the coaching staff down loved just being together every day. They loved showing it was organic. 
all the stuff that happened that, that went on that year, ride the wave, all of the moments, right? Like everything, whether it was good or bad, everyone took it in stride and just had fun with it. Yeah. And then you go on a run that no one expects you to go on because of it, because everyone's just soaking up the moment, enjoying being together. And that can be hard to do. And like, I can't imagine trying to do that for 162 games. Of course it's yeah. going to wear on you. And again, I'm sorry. I don't know this for a fact, but doesn't seem like it happens to a Brian Snicker led team. Those yeah. laws don't seem uh, to happen, right? Those yeah. laws don't ever seem to happen. And when you talk about it again, because it's not like, again, I don't think Aaron Boone does anything wrong as far as lineup construction, bullpen usage, things like that. I don't think he does anything wrong there, but I, I come back to, well, when they slump, they slump together. Yeah. The one thing I will say to, to kind of just kind of contradict the Brian Snicker thing is remember they were what 56 and 51 or whatever it was. 51 but they continue, but they year. continue to just pound the rock every, like they didn't yeah. all slump together is the point. They continue to just pound yeah. it together and then, and then got hot when they needed to. I, and my point of that is that the Yankees struggles are just always going to be magnified. To be magnified. Like if they turn fair. this around, if they turn this around in the next three weeks and go win a World Series, like it would be similar to the Nationals being nineteen and thirty-one. But it's so much harder to turn it around when you have in John Heyman in September. Oh. A, but you have John Heyman reporting on John Carlo bumped into Anthony Rizzo, and now they're beefing. Or you know, <laughs> this guy looked at, like Aaron Judge didn't give the, his normal fist pump on the roll call like that is how magnified each and every right. one of these guys movements are is severino chewed ranch seeds today instead of barbecue and and that's why they lost like they would freaking report on anything and everything yes. that they could even imagine to report on and it's like so when the nationals go 19 and 31 and they play horrible baseball because like you know, it is possible to turn it around and get back from that. It's a lot easier in May compared to September, but it is possible to get hot, especially no. when you have that talent. FP Santangelo is too busy doing other things anyway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, Sorry. It, it, you know, it is just, just harder to, to do it in New York when, you know, cause even when they won five straight games, there's still complaints. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the Washington Nationals sure. in 20, sure. 2019 sure. went five straight games after going 19 and 31. Everybody's and like, National, oh, good. And a lot of, again, new, to your point, you're spot on with that. Because the, the Yankees, right, it's, it's a lot of it is the entertainment factor. Yeah. It's not just about wins and losses there. They're it's pawns. The entertainment factor. They're pawns. In D.C., yeah. right, the, the – you have all the politics in our country in D.C. No one really cares win or lose with the Nationals. No. The, whatever the, the football team there is called now and the Capitals. It doesn't exactly matter because we can all no. just, hey, if they're boring, I'm just going to swing over. Like what's going on at the Capitol building today? And that in L.A., same thing, right? Like you, you have yeah. all those celebrities in Hollywood's out there. It's like, okay, whatever. If, if one of those teams aren't playing well, who actually cares? We have so many other things we can do. But when you get into New York, man – there's a lot of other things to do, yes, but the, the the entertainment value of the things like that it just gets turned up so much. Um, yeah, let's get out of here. It was a good one. <laughs>